It's Monday night at a special time for Graphic Policy Radio, the show that mixes comics and politics. This is, this episode we're doing something a little bit different. Instead of comics and politics, we're going to be talking about a movie and its political themes. Uh, tonight we're discussing Logan, the latest and final ride of Hume Jackman as the iconic Wolverine, uh, out in two weeks in a now, and it is uh, pretty close to being the top domestic earning film of the year, and it's the top uh, worldwide earning film of the uh, year so far. <clears throat> and joining me is my co-host, Alana. We've also got a special guest as well. So how are you doing, Alana? I'm so excited to talk about this movie. So, uh, you know, I'm not someone who watches every superhero movie. I only watch the good ones. I was so glad <laughs> that this was a good one. And there's so much for us to talk about. So let's let's make it happen. Yes. Uh, so it felt rather appropriate to have us uh, joining us tonight of uh, our contributor to graphic policy of Logan Dalton. So we've got Logan talking about Logan. Uh, it wasn't planned. We've actually were talking on email about the film, and I, I really want to hear what he has to say. So it should be a really fun discussion. Uh, at night, he writes about comics, TV shows, for sites like Graphic Policy and Nerds on the Rocks, uh, and even is working on a play. Um, he, you could pick his brain about LG, uh, LGBTQ represent, representation in comics at any time. Find him at uh, Mid- Midnighter, B-A-E, uh, at Twitter. So, Logan, yeah. how you doing? Oh, good. I'm, I actually talked about this movie last night on a pod- podcast, so I'm just like... I, I guess when they name a movie after you, you get to like be on every podcast to talk about it. I like that. <laughs> uh, and th- it was totally not planned. Uh, you know, it, it wasn't. It really wasn't until I uh, was like, "Hey, we should have Logan on for this." That I'm like, "Okay, well, that's gonna be slightly weird to be like, are we talking Logan the movie, Logan the person?" Yeah, that's gonna be. Oh no! Please do time. not talk about my. Please do not talk about my personal life. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, I saw you. You got to see it early. I was like super jealous, and you're saying all these cool things about it. I'm like, I can't wait for this movie. And it kind of lived up to the hype for the most part. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's a, that was a big thing. So, um, you know, before we kind of dive into like the deeper stuff. Um, so Alana, like what are your kind of just your general thoughts about the film? And then Logan, we'll, we'll switch to you and get your kind of big general, big picture thoughts. You know, I, uh, I really like a movie that has a specific artistic sensibility about it. Um, this is a real Western in a lot of ways. It's not just a bland, stylish superhero movie. Um, it has style, and it has real a really timely message. I mean, the top line that I gave in my tweet, and just for the record, guys, this is going to be 100% spoilers from here on out. Like, the short version, <laughs> yes. if you haven't watched the movie yet, is that we all agree you should go watch the movie. Okay, that's the end of the spoiler-free portion. Now for the spoiler portion. <laughs> I mean, this is a movie where the actual, like, villain is, like, racism and white corporations. Like, this is a movie about white corporations and, frankly, the public, the white public at large's refusal to acknowledge the basic humanity of people of color and immigrants. Um, and the timing of this movie coming out right now as Trump is actively deporting in, at an even greater rate than before and terrorizing the immigrant community is really useful as a tool. I um, one of my uh, one of our followers on Twitter and and, and um, supporter of the show, Micah Kellner, had tweeted to me to say that he'd gone to see this movie with one of his friends who is not 
someone who has supported immigrant rights in the past that his friend found it incredibly moving and like was talking with him about refugees, like after the movie and like was crying. And I mean, if a movie can be a transformative, movies are powerful because they change, they can absolutely change the way how someone views the world. And I do think this movie has the potential to ask folks, you know, whose side are you on? Are you with the corporations that don't view mutants? children as real human beings and just view them as objects and, and humans, or do you want to be on the side of heroes? But it's not, I mean, that's not the only issue with the movie. The movie also deals with, you know, I know that you want to talk a lot of those other pieces as well, but certainly the, the acting in the movie is wonderful. The cinematography is very good. Um, and, uh, you know, we're ready, ready for the next generation of next men as Comics artist Ramon Villalobos and former guest on the show has dubbed the monster um, who come out of the end of the movie. Like the next generation of new X-Men, these are all kids from Mexico. And I think that that's really powerful um, to say that like people who are born in the U.S. are not the only people who like hold the future of saving humanity in their hands. And that, um, I mean, I, I really could just keep going down this political path for a while. So I'll dial back for a second and say that those are various reasons why I think the movie is, is extra strong, the performances, the politics. Um, and I do think that the script itself is, is really powerful. All right. Um, and okay. Logan, what do you think of Logan? Well, um, one, one thing I really liked about this movie is that it was, it was actually character-driven. Because a lot of the, like, Marvel Cinematic Universe movies, like, in marketing will be like, oh, we're character-driven. But it's basically, like, for example, Doctor Strange is pretty much just Tony Stark's story, but with, like, less snark in, like, it's <laughs> and, and, and more trippy visuals, I guess. But this movie, like, it, it took its time to develop the relationship between um, Logan, X-23, and uh, Professor X, and just build that family bond. And I, I especially love this scene where they're at the, the homestead, and it kind of, and it's I like that they, they, they chose a black family, so it's not, like, all, like, white people or whatever, um, mm-hmm. kind of to, like, kind of illustrate, like, this is a life they could have. And then, but, but like, there's always this, like, cycle of violence that uh, Logan is stuck in. But luckily, he kind of sort of, like, creates another life for X-23. He kind of sacrifices himself. Um, he's a little, not, like, a messianic figure, but he is definitely, like, Hugh Jackson giving everything he's got. And, like, I love the – I hope this movie gets at least nominated for, like, Best Makeup. I mean, if Suicide Squad won, this movie should, like, definitely win for, like, turning Hugh mm. Jackman and Patrick Stewart, these, like, attractive men into, like, these, like, just dying, <laughs> like, people. Yeah, this movie – and also, like, I, just affects yeah. me emotionally. Um, like, the kids at the end with the action figures and, the like, this turning the X over. I'm like, that's me. That's – when I was a kid, we would play X-Men on the playground, and I was always stuck playing Wolverine. And then those kids are me, and, you know, yeah. So I, I really enjoyed it. I, I, and yeah. <clears throat> nice. I was just going to yeah, talk about the makeup, I, and I apologize because I was totally just, like, in, being in an interrupting jerk. Oh, but, okay. Um, like, the way the makeup was done for Wolverine, it looked like his skeleton was giving him – a uh, medical was like was was infected and it was like giving and that's what it was right and like the fact that it looked like his like adamantium skeleton was like trying to crawl out of his skin the whole time and that actually is what he was suffering from I thought that was wonderful like the makeup actually contributed to the characterization in those ways and it's hard to make someone who's so physically strong and big 
look ill and sick, and they, they did that. And obviously, his acting is a huge part of selling that as well. But I agree with you that it should be not, it should get the I mean it should get the Oscar for that. But I think that the acting performances, you know, I wish there was an Oscar just for kids at this point because she would have to win it like without a freaking doubt. Oh um, yeah, but just, I thought, like, just her facial things. expressions. Yeah, she has like no lines of dialogue for half the movie, and she you never have any confusion about what she's thinking. And then a lot of folks who are of Mexican heritage were saying how great she was at her Spanish language lines. Um, and how she sounded just like my cousin. Like, I know Ramon said that, you know. She's his cousin, Hispanic. Obviously not his grown-up cousin. So the, the actress is actually Hispanic. Uh-huh. But is she from, is she, oh. is she from America or? Um, so it's, uh, it's weird. It's like a really, it's a very mixed family. But her mother is, I believe, Mexican. I'd have to double check mm-hmm. on that. Um, just like in the movie. But, <laughs> yeah, it, it's like um, her father's English. Her mother, I think, is actually, I'm pretty sure, is Mexican. Uh, so, yeah, um, she's... Her mom's Spanish. Um, or Spanish. There we go. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, but, like, she... Well, either way, Spanish, like, like, she sells a Mexican solid. accent. I mean, yeah. and a, well, specifically, like, a Mexican accent is not, like, so many different kinds of Spanish accents. And, and, and yeah, apparently, she's, like, totally nailed a specific Mexican accent. And then that's super cool. But, you know, this year, but like this should absolutely be on the words list. I mean, Patrick Stewart portraying someone dealing with dementia. I will say this about the performance and his reading of it. Like when I got off out of the movie, I had this like, I should call my parents moment. Um, You know, I don't, you know, I, 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 like uh, as a performance of like aging and like people slipping away and that, I mean, I, I don't watch a ton of movies about, uh, the, the aging process, but I'd say like this, I have two of my favorite portrayals of people um, dealing with the impact of dementia and Alzheimer's and and, and and people who they love and how that changes their personalities and how it's, it can be very hard to deal with them, very draining, but there's still people that you love in there. And the strain that the living experience is for someone who's in the Spanish generation, he's taking care of his parents, he's taking care of a kid, which is something that adults are definitely facing right now with the lack of affordable access to elder care, which will become even greater if the horrible house proposed Trump care bullshit gets to pass and people who don't have affordable child care, which again is already a problem and will only become worse. Da, 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 da. Like that's a pretty accurate portrayal of like the stresses that adults find themselves in and trying to care for people on both ends of the lifespan. Yeah, I mean, out of everyone, Stewart, if he doesn't get nominated for something, I'm I'm going to riot in the streets. Um, I mean, his portrayal. Everyone I've talked to, uh, he uh, he might. I mean, like he's a character or he's an actor that uh, a lot of people love. So you can see that True. people would make this as a uh, as a reason to nominate him of just be, being like he's such an amazing person. We need to give him something that he's really good in this. Let's nominate him for this. Mm. Um, okay. <clears throat> It, it happens. Like, let's be completely honest. That happens and happens a lot. So, um, sure. I can see, I can see him being nominated. Like, out of everyone, he's the one I think deserves, without a doubt, like an acting nod. Because everyone I've talked to, especially people who've who've seen that condition, and I have too. Like, everyone says the same thing of just being like, been there, seen that. Holy shit, was that spot on? Um, yeah. And yeah, I mean, it was uh, it was impressive. Like it was really, really impressive acting. Not 
I mean, it was acting acting that you wouldn't expect in a uh, a comic film. To put it bluntly, right. like you don't see that level of everything. And then Hugh Jackman too, like he, I mean, he just lived that character. Um, just the pain you could see, the way he was moving, uh, the way he, you know, the just the subtle movements. Like I, I agree with both of you where you said about the the makeup just the scars <clears throat> that they had on him, even when he wasn't fighting and getting, you know, jacked up. But like, you know, the scenes in Mexico when he would just have his shirt off and you'd see all the scars on his body, like that alone told the story, which is really, really but cool the quality to see. Of his skin. Of, like even like just the quality yeah. of his skin. Like there was something sick and allergic about it, like an infection. Like your body is, is having an infection. I, I I thought that was really it's hard to to, to really nail that. And then when they have yeah. the effect oh. of him, of his clone showing up, you know, looking briefly like Sabretooth, actually, for a second, I was confused there. And oh, yeah, the haircut, oh, fuck, yeah. It is a clone of him, which I thought was great. <laughs> I love that he's ultimately fighting a dehumanized version of himself. I, I, I'm so glad that that was who he had his fist fights with rather than having it just be Sabretooth. Um, I, I mean, it's a pretty spot on metaphor for like dealing with your demons, but it worked for me. Yeah, I really liked yeah. the, the fight choreography in this movie. It wasn't, like, you know, super stylized mm. like John Wick. It was, like, just so brutal. And, like, you could also see, like, Wolver- like, like in the other X-Men movies, like, Wolverine's, like, charging into battle, taking, like, 100 bullets to his, like, torso. But this one, he's, like, doing, like, he's more crafty. He's, like, doing, like, judo throws and is trying to, like, take as little punishment as possible. Um, it reminded mm. me a lot of the Death of Wolverine storyline where he, like, loses his healing factor and he actually has to, like, yep. think when he fights. So uh, I like that. The action. I mean, that's an interesting thing. I mean, like, people don't th- really think about the fact that both Wolverine and Deadpool are characters whose ability to function as a hero is rooted in their tolerance to pain because they literally feel this pain. They're not invulnerable. It's not, this is not just, like, bullets bouncing off Luke Cage. Like, they will survive, but they feel all of that pain. They're constantly dealing with pain in their lives and in order for them to function, they have to deal with that. I, um, I thought that, you know, his substance abuse stuff, like it wasn't a significant part of the movie, but I thought, I thought it was good to have it in there. And it's certainly stuff where you're like, you know, I thought a lot about like opioid problems that folks have, like people don't just like wake up and be like, I want to be addicted to opioids. Like this stuff is brought on because people have under treated medical issues frequently from uh, from uh, repetitive motion injury and other kinds of injuries. Um, and the fact that, like, in order for him to function as a fighter, he has to throw himself in front of guns and experience pain. Like, even if he is being a, can- a more canny fighter in this movie than he has been in the past, which is true, like, he still puts his body between himself and the people who he's trying to save regularly to endure that physical agony time and again and endlessly. Yeah, I mean, it's slightly different, which was interesting. I mean, um, you know, if you really go back and watch the, the first two, really the second one, um, you, you definitely see a, a subtle difference between the, the fight styles and <clears throat> what he's doing. And I, I completely agree with Logan, with, where it was almost a nod to the death of Wolverine, where everything just changes slightly. Like, it's not a major change, but you can see that he's he's contemplating the I can't do this anymore and and I can't take a punch or a, a bullet like I could in the past. Um, and especially at the end of the film when he's basically cut completely loose going against the, the Reavers 
Uh, you can definitely mm-hmm. see that he's thinking through how he's moving, who he's going after, and using you know someone as a, a shield or a, a tree as a shield. And uh, it's definitely a, a you know for for three films, it's interesting. Not even just three films, but all the stuff that he's been in. It's it's interesting to see kind of this evolution of the style because you know, clearly they've thought it through for the film. I mean, I think one of the other pieces of that, of, of the combination of that performance, too, is like you have a character who we're used to, you know, his catch line in comics. And I don't really actually, I didn't see any of the Wolverine solo movies, so I don't know if it's a piece of those. It's like he's the best he is at They're what horrible. he does. And I like, think it was I an Origin. Like I said, I don't even, I don't watch bad superhero movies, right? Um, it was like, <laughs> the, here we have him, like, you know, recognizing actually, like, she's she's a natural fighter. She hasn't had, you know, like, she's had training from, like, people who don't have the sort of, like, he should have been the one training her, but she was raised, you know, in this institution and blah, blah. And she's so on top of how, how to fight, but what she hasn't been taught is the, the emotional burden that that leaves with you, right? Because the whole point of what the corporation did to her was to dehumanize her. So he's helping her work through the psychological challenge of having to be repeatedly a party to violence. And, you know, oh my God, the use of the movie Shane in the movie was super smart. You know, I've seen a lot of Westerns, but I have not seen Shane, but I was aware sort of what what the storyline of that movie is. Um, And I thought that the parallel here of essentially a a man of violence who comes to a town to rid the violence from the town and has to leave because he himself is too much of an agent of violence is a great parallel to throw into this movie. And I think the question, of course, is like Daphne sees herself, sorry, not Daphne, uh, X-23 Laura sees herself as being like, okay, well, I'm part of this violence too. And I perpetually an outsider and an outcast because I am also part of this violence. Um, and, you know, and this is something which just happened to her before she had a chance to be anything other than that, really. Which is, uh, <clears throat> that's kind of an interesting thing. I mean, yeah, obviously the, the film took straight up inspiration from, from Shane, but what you were talking about um, with her kind of being brought up in violence. And one of the, the things I kind of wrote about briefly in the, my review of it <clears throat> is that scene with her um, and Wolverine discussing the comic books and, and, you know, the, the comic violence versus real world violence. And it's, it's interesting in that Wolverine's giving her a, a lecture being like, you know, this is kid stuff. It's not actually real. Uh, this, you know, all the pain, all the suffering, the people dying, like none of that was covered in the comic. You know, you don't know what it's like when clearly she's grown up in this very violent world and he should have known that at that point. But I thought mm-hmm. that was a overall really interesting kind of debate within the film, almost that it was not just taking, you know, discussing it, but almost discussing all the previous X-Men films and all the previous X-Men comics and comics in general and, fantasy like discussing that um <clears throat> you know the 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 real world violence versus the fantasy violence and that there's this disconnect between the two yeah i mean i think the like the the first shot of the you know first x-men movie is like auschwitz but i think like most recently especially like x-men apocalypse like that the, the movie like like the x-men movies used to be like kind of grounded in reality like i mean they had crazy powers but they they tried to you know do real world themes like Using mm-hmm. you know mutants as a you know metaphor for coming out like in X two like the coming out scene with Iceman, but like X Men Apocalypse was just like a pure CGI, just 
punch fest, I guess, like like a disaster movie. Yeah. So I think yep. that like maybe that comic book is a little bit of like I don't think James Mangold is like directly like going against X and Apocalypse, but he's like, I mean, these movies used to be about something, but now they're just like trying to set up like, oh, you like these characters from your childhood, let's show them in action and. And I think he's trying to get back to that. These movies actually like mean something in the real world, and instead of just you know being like mindless popcorn movies, which well, still I mean they still have good action, but yeah, yeah, no, it's very true. And I said as an artistic statement, I I, I was really excited to see highlighted in um, Charles Pulliam's piece for Fusion about how like the the writer director was very clearly reflecting on the bigotry. Um, and that Donald Trump was really driving up and and and, and um, planning the flames of like that was cog- he was cognizant of that in making the film. I mean the screenplay it, you know preexists the specifics of Trump, but we've been hearing from these voices of Republican spokespeople like Stephen King and Peter King and not the good Stephen King, the writer, but the <laughs> evil Stephen King, the Congress yeah, in, in the Congress. Um, and the other evil Steve King, the other evil Peter King in Congress. Thank you. So many evil kings um, um, have been fanning the flames, you know, calling for the quote, border wall. And that when he was very specific, like, yes, this movie is about that. I mean, the fact that the movie opens up with people on the U.S. side of the wall being dicks going through a checkpoint, like, like chanting USA, USA to people on the other side of the wall. The fact that you have, um, you know, like mutant refugees in Mexico because the U.S. has become so hate-filled. Um, living in Mexico in the start of the movie is particularly poignant, um, and the, the movie really is about people who are who are refugees. Uh, the fact that I mean, you know, we always joke that in the Marvel universe, Canada is the source of the worst anti-mutant evil because John Byrne, the guy working on X-Men during the height of a lot of these storylines being written, was Canadian and he really hated. The, the father of our, the current prime minister, Trudeau, he hated Trudeau Pierre, as it would be. Uh, so he made him the bad guy who hated mutants. And that's why Canada became the source of, you know, Weapon X and so many other evil programs, is because it was a Canadian turning his comics into a Canadian political commentary. But as a result, oh my course, Marvel, yes, that's why yeah, Canada it, is it's really Marvel. weird history. Wow, I'm going to have to go back uh, and read some of those older issues, like, now, like, oh my gosh. Like, I, I never saw that. We've got a good argument. <laughs> Uh, I'll share the article. Adam, um, a really good article yeah. about that. Yeah. About That's what Canada I was about to pick up and tweet. Yeah. Thank you. So, um, so yeah, evil Canada. So for once in the movies, it's the other <laughs> way around because the movies aren't tied to that particular moment in uh, popular culture and that particular writer. So I was totally joking, like, wow, this is the first time in the Marvel universe that anyone has tried to escape from America to Canada. Meanwhile, <laughs> in the real world, we know for a fact there are refugees who are risking life and limb trying to escape to Canada because our current anti-Muslim U.S. immigration policies is endangering people's lives. So the Canadian Mounties have like had to rescue people from the snow and ice and the border between the U.S. and Canada right now. Mind you, yep. a lot of people try to characterize the Mounties as like benevolent or whatever. Like they're they're rescuing people and then they are holding them and then possibly deporting them. It's not like Canada is like utopia. It's not. It's a lot less. Yeah, they're not like Alpha Flight right now. Yeah, exactly. They're not Alpha Flight. <laughs> Alpha Flight's kind of messed up too. But like, yeah, it's not like Canada is like rescuing all of U.S.'s refugees. It's not. But it's definitely less effed up there than it is here right now. Um, 
So, like, this, is, this movie, like, you know, foretold that happening, frankly. Um, but I love the fact that the writer and director are speaking on the record in the media about how, like, this is political, this was deliberate, um, because I, I think that that's very effective, and the movie's performed super well. I mean, the, the fact that all of the Mex, the new mutant Mexmen are Mexican, right? Like, that's so amazing. Uh, that means that no matter what happens in the future, like, I guess, you know, I don't know what, what kind of weird time travel shit people might pull, but, like, the next generation of X-Men kids are Mexican. They're also led by Richter, who, as we know from the comics, is by, um, you know, who knows what the movie will decide, but I doubt the movie would go and reverse that. Um, but, like, and, like, you know, and, like, the fact that the nurse who rescues it, the fact that the nurse who rescues, the, 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 I loved that line from Gabriella, who's the nurse who rescues Laura, who says, like, oh, the corporation thought we were dumb and that we didn't understand, and we're poor, but we're not freaking dumb, and we do understand. I, like, wanted to send that to my friends who work for the National Nurses Union and be like, hey, movie with heroic nurses. Like, they're not developed characters, but they're clearly situated in the narrative as being essential heroes in the story, and all of the nurses are Latina. Um, and none, key, of this yeah. none of the rescue would have happened without these women being incredibly brave and like fighting to free these children. There were women who, you know, who the government thinks are powerless and not the government, who the corporation who's been licensed to do this by the government thinks are powerless and helpless, use their limited ability that they have to free people. Like these women are endangering their own lives and safety. And then Gabriella loses her life in order to liberate these young, these young kids and the government did not recognize the power of these women and thought that they could fucking fool them and tell them that these kids weren't really human. I mean, remember, the whole way through, this corporation is telling them that these children aren't children. But we know that children are children. And I think that the, the parallel that we see is, like, in the real world, you've got assholes like Stephen King dehumanizing Steve immigrant King. youth, saying that they're – Steve King, sorry – saying that they're super predators. <laughs> they're not like – you know, like, and he said – he said that these aren't yeah. our babies. These are somebody else's babies, like in his quote, which he just doubled down on in the media the other yep, day. Yep, he completely doubled um, down on that. Mm-hmm. You know, so we have a world where we have elected officials who are Republicans consistently saying that, um, you know, children of color and children who are immigrants aren't really children, that, you know, they want to try teenagers as adults, as if teenagers are freaking adults. They want to treat, they call human children, quote, anchor babies, quote, all the villain stuff you see in Logan the movie, like that shit is real. Um, that dehumanization is a real process. There was just a study that came out today, which verifies something that I know black folks have been saying for forever, but I am glad to have a study to point to as well, which is that white people perceive black men as being larger and stronger than they are in real life. So like, if you like, see a guy walking down the street and he's black and then you get quizzed about him like 10 minutes later, you will say like, Oh, he was 250 pounds. when like, he was actually 200 pounds. Um, so like white people in our culture, like have these, these uh, assumptions about black men who they interact with in their life in their built up in their heads in ways that are like, dehumanize them? It's sort of like your, it's like the default response that white people have, like whether we want to feel that way or we don't. And you know, mo- I think most of us don't want to be racist assholes, but the culture we live in has made us see the world through those eyes. Right. Um, so that process of looking at people as being less than human, even if you don't want to view them that way is still 
part of what we do in the world. And so, like, the, 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 you know, they're trying to shake you out of these dehumanizing assumptions that we make about other people. Um, yeah, sorry, I kind of monologued for a bit, so I'll, I'll let some other folks <laughs> share their thoughts about that now. Well, the, the thing that stood out to me with the, the film is, and I kept on thinking about how, how Marvel handled it in theirs, is for Logan, the, the main villain is an evil corporation. They're fairly generic. They, you know, it's not like some some super powered villain like Red Skull or something like that. It is a corporation looking out for their interests and they want their property. We've seen corporations used in the past in films. The the first Iron Man was basically an evil business white dude. Uh, second Iron uh, Second Iron Man was an evil business white dude. Ant Man was an evil business white dude. They're all in three piece <laughs> mm-hmm. suits. The lesson is if they're in three piece suits, they're evil. Tony Stark wore a three piece suit in Civil War. Like that's that's the big sign. And I'm pretty sure the dude in Aww. Logan, I need to go back and watch, was wearing a three piece suit. But that's a whole other side thing. But the thing that really stood out to me about Logan is I think this is the first time we've actually seen a decent use of the corporation of a corporation as being evil in that mm-hmm. I thought there was while there were while it was fascinating in that you know unlike Stain or uh, um, whatever Sam Rockwell's character was I'm totally blanking on it or the Ant-Man character totally blanking on it generic white dude in three-piece suit um, the, the thing that really stood out to me in Logan is even though it wasn't like overtly said in like this real great monologue that there are statements throughout the film that added so much depth to like how evil motherfuckers these guys are and that they kept on i mean there was a there was a whole there was a speech that really kind of they're not really speech but a line that stands out to me and i can you know i can't quote it directly but it's the thing where they're talking about the reavers are just getting butchered and they're like, well, don't you want to do something about it? And they're like, no, I don't care about that. I want the girl. She's our, she's our property. She's our intellectual property. And it ties into immigration as a whole and, and, and you know, seeing immigrants as just uh, you know, property that can work the, the farm fields, which is uh, American crime is taking on the season uh, as there is one of their themes and storylines. Um, and they're just seeing them as property. And it's all about property and intellectual property you know property of the film which also ties into the why mutants don't exist it's all about ip and and copyright and technology and monsanto and stuff like that uh, which then ties into the whole scene with the with the farm um like to me this was the real first solid use of a corporation as an evil person like even marvel with their use of rocks and for how many decades at this point i don't think has ever nailed it this well or this easily um, and it's not like they like beat you over the head with it. It was all real subtle statements and lines mm-hmm. that were thrown in there, which I thought was really impressive to me. Well, yeah, I, I mean, uh, but I would just oh. emph- but I would just emphasize though that like that is about dehumanizing people, right? Like it is yeah. about being oh, yeah. specifically racist in this context. But yeah, I agree. They nailed. They really knocked it out of the ballpark on that. Yeah, the, 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 I really loved like the background world building in this movie. Like it was just all, it was all going on in the background, like on TV screens and in just straight lines of dialogue. But like a lot of dystopians, like like Hunger Games, they like base it on like ancient Rome or like it's like really distant. But like I could definitely see like possibly see the U.S. becoming like this. I mean, maybe you mm-hmm. know not with like knives coming out of people's hands, but like using <laughs> like corn, like using things and chemicals and food and water to like. I know, like, in the 
like the 1950s, they they tried to sterilize. There's an urban legend going around there, like trying to sterilize people um, with chemicals and and. Well, they uh, did actually sterilize people. Like they 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 took women in yeah. Puerto Rico and um, Chicano women in, in in California who were like going to the hospital for just like normal hospital stuff, and they sterilized them and didn't tell them. Like that's a thing that the U.S. government did in like the 50s and 60s. So, just just using people I mean, like using people who think they are like, you know lesser than them as like just science experiments. Mm-hmm. It's like a real thing, mm-hmm. and it's great. And like in the '80s, like they brought in cocaine, and like it's yeah, it's crazy. Yeah, it's, yeah. it's just like a little you know extra sci-fi, but I mean it's not that far like from what we have. It's crazy. Well, that's the thing. And you know another cool thing. Sorry, another cool thing that you bring up with that though is it's so important to see in the movie that even though the movie is a dystopia, life goes on. And I think that's one of the problems that we're dealing with right now if it, under the Trump administration is, like, people always had this idea that, like, when the evil villain comes to power, life as we know it will end. And what both Logan the movie and also, like, life as we're living it right now shows is actually even when the supervillain comes to power, for most people, life continues. It gets shittier, but you're not, like, dying in the streets. But for some people, life literally ends. So it's a question of, like, are you noticing uh, how bad this stuff is impacting mutants? Like, you know, most people seem to still be anti-mutant. And I love that one doctor who was like, oh, I always wanted to meet people like you with your gifts. Like, because it's so clear that, like, some people kind of understand this political context of what's happened to people, but that most people aren't thinking about it and talking about it. Um, and so it shows you, like, even with this horrible world, like, life has continued, which is, I think, more effective warning to us than the Hunger Games mm-hmm. is in a way. In the Hunger Games, like actually life is completely different and, and everything is kind of awful. And that sort of feels like oh, that, that could never happen. But in Logan, horrible things have happened and life kind of doesn't seem so alien. And that actually shows you how close we are to these, to these moments, you know? Yeah, well, it makes sense. Yeah, like Logan's job, he's, He's like an Uber driver. I mean, he doesn't have like an education yes. or anything. I mean, he doesn't he want to get Uber in the military, driver. so he's he's like a freaking Uber yeah. driver. Like, well, that, that's know, the question and, I got. I wanted to ask about so with the, with the apocalypse <laughs> setting, like before going into the film, did you think it was basically just you know Mad Max Wolverine, like it was a straight up apocalypse film? No, I mean, oh, from the marketing, yeah, I thought. I mean, yeah, I didn't, from the marketing. Yeah, I didn't think it would be like that futuristic, like. At all, I mean. Interesting. Okay. Like, well, so, I don't know. Like, they, they did a good job in the marketing of like kind of hiding things. I guess they just just showing yeah. us like yeah, iconic yeah. images and like music, and, and then hiding like kind of the the plot underpinning, which was kind of which is good. Like, I like that. Didn't give away a lot of the good stuff. Like it's twist at the end. What do you think about the western? Like the movie status as a western and how it used chain. I loved it. Oh. Yeah, so for for me, sorry, the the for me, I thought the use of Shane was absolutely amazing. Like I I want to go back and watch Shane and write up a piece about the two the two films and their parallels and how they discuss. I think this was the western that the Wolverine wanted to be. Yeah, I mean the Wolverine, like like one thing I like about Wolverine is he fits in so many different genres of stories, samurai stories, fire stories, like yeah. Kind of like like I even read like recently read the Old Man Logan comics like he's basically an alien, um, so like I like that they finally realized you know at the end of Hugh Jackman's run that Wolverine can fit in any genre and 
hopefully, like, DC will understand that with Batman as well. Like, these characters are, like, so, like, archetypical that you can just fit them in any genre and tell a good story in that genre without, like, having to worry about, like, other stuff. I mean, you could tell, like, a great, like, World War II war movie, Wolverine. Like, that's what X-Men Origins should have been, mm-hmm. like, a war movie with mm-hmm. him and Sabretooth. And, like, that, that, just, like, that opening sequence, but, like, a whole movie about that. Like, but... That would be actually kind of cool. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that would actually be really smart and really cool. But, yeah, like, the, yeah, just, clearly Mangold wanted, like, the, his big thing was to do a Western, and that's... You know, that was a big focus on, like, the fact that Shane was kind of so in your face um, that, you know, that um, the the music chosen the, the, the for the marketing and everything else, of, you know, we're thinking Johnny Cash when we're thinking this film at this point. Um, I mean, you know, yeah. That, oh, God, that song at the end, the use of when the yeah. man comes around. I was crying. Hey, was anybody else crying? Was that just me? I, I, I cried. I will neither confirm or deny Oh, I cried when the kid put the action figure on the grave. Like I'm like, oh, oh. man, it's me. I, I have a Wolverine yep. action figure. Like this is this is so me. I cried like <laughs> less than I did in Rogue One, but I still cried. Uh, yeah, I definitely cried. And the brilliant deployment of uh, of Johnny Cash. I think a lot of movies and shows these days are using songs that they don't earn the right to use. Uh, there was a really good podcast that Shanti Collins, the TV critic, was on. I think it was on Shallow Rewards, talking about like unearned song usage. Um, this movie, I think, earned its usage of When the Man Comes Around, absolutely. Um, although I actually do just want to mention, I was watching a music video a while back of Buffalo Springfield, where they're playing, which is um, Neil Young's first band, and they were playing the song Mr. Soul, which is such a good song. Neil Young's outfit in that music video is Wolverine in his casual wear as drawn by John Byrne. It was freaking bizarre. <laughs> they both also have the same sideburns. That's crazy. I mean, I always think that Wolverine yeah. looks like Clint Eastwood. Um, just yeah, always. Yeah, Especially that, like yeah in, legit. In and the, that works there, too. Mm-hmm. Yeah, like in the Old Man Logan comics, I'm like, Steve McNiven, like, totally traced, like, unforgiven, <laughs> um, like, Clint Eastwood. Like, <laughs> yeah. And now we have, like, Logan kind of in that, like, darker Western tradition. That's kind of cool. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean the the original Old Man Logan, the the comic series, I thought was very much like a western, and they dove kind of into it. But compared to the the original comic, which this basically shares the look and the name, or not even the name, but the look. Um, you know, this one I think is even more into that. Like just the for so many reasons of not just. You know, he is the is the uh, you know gunslinger that doesn't want to fight anymore, but's dragged into it. But shit, the farm scene alone was like one of the most western things I've seen in film in quite a long time. Of you mm-hmm. know, the evil corporation that wants to go and take over the small local farm, and the the wary gunslinger has to go and defend them. Um, mm-hmm. You know, if anything screams western, that screams western. <laughs> Yeah. And of course they have horses. I mean, of course they have horses. Because it's like, like, you know, like farming has, and and being a cowboy and all of that, like that has been whitewashed in popular culture. So it was great to see a black family, like playing that role of the, the, of the neighbor, of the community farm and like the grassroots farm and stuff. Um, 
Yeah, I really, I really like that like, scene. That scene yeah. made the movie like ten times better. Just, just letting us like relax and you know see what life is like, and then just pulling us back to the insanity, like kind of giving us a glimpse of like what things could have been, you know. And and it was just like I was just like sad every time Wolverine like called Xavier his dad, like is it so true? Like, the the farm scene I thought was interesting because out of all the X-Men films, it's the first time that I can think of that they actually defended a non-mutant. Like, forget the whole save the world aspect of it um, and, mm. like, the big picture battles. Like, I can't think of them at any point actually just standing up for a regular human being. It's usually fighting I, regular humans um, who yeah. are, like, beating up on mutants. But I thought it was a nice <laughs> split because this is just the average family. And he, like, in this final thing, kind of really stands, you know, we see him standing up for just an average human being. There was something just very poetic and nice about it. I don't know why it, like, really stuck out to me because of that. I mean, they're being actual, like, superheroes, finally. I mean, because, like, the thing with the X-Men, yeah. like, they, they would never, like, the movies have never had the colorful costumes, like, until, like, the last, like, second of X-Men Apocalypse. They've always been, like, leather. We're trying to be, like, sleek sci-fi action. But then they're finally, like, like with the costumes in, in Apocalypse, and then with this scene, they're like, oh, well, we're superheroes. Like, deal with it. Yeah, well, like, in all, all the other films, I mean, they've done God knows how much damage, killed how much how many people just from, like, the, the damage that was done. I mean, Apocalypse, with the crap that was going on, and we're talking probably deaths in the thousands and tens of thousands. Oh, man. Uh, I don't want to think about that movie. <laughs> <laughs> uh, it, it here is, like... It's him trying to protect a family, and you know it doesn't go well at all. But it's it it's almost like this grassroots take to it that we haven't seen in any of the films, which is so so nice and and cool. Like so, the fir- I mean, the first Wolverine was I don't even want to discuss it, but like there's there's no uh, battle where he's like saving some average person. He's just taking down the military and eventually weird. Deadpool amalgam thing, and the second <laughs> one, he's fighting to save, um, you know, this this rich girl, and who's definitely you know not a person of the you know of like a normal person. And all the X Men films, the first one is them stopping Magneto and his crazy giant plan to mutate everyone. Uh, the second <laughs> one is taking on the military. The third one is is Dark Phoenix. And uh, you know, go through first class and all that stuff. Like none of it, you you never see them just being like, "Hey, we're we're at a bar and we're stopping this person being harassed by the mutant." Like that's just you haven't seen it at all. It's it's always the opposite. So to see him stand up is like, it's actually new and fresh. Like even the comics, you don't see that too often. Yeah, I mean, like even like Joss Whedon's like Astonishing X Men when like they threw on the spandex again, they were in some, like, sci-fi conspiracy, like, the entire run. Like, yeah. they weren't, like... Yeah, I mean, like, there might have been a shot of them, like, saving people, but, yeah. <laughs> they got to go for the, you know, the big epic and not the just little <laughs> stuff. Yeah, I mean, it was it was another, I think, example of uh, the the film being dialed back and going with that Western roots. Is there, while that kind of end was, like, a big fight sequence at the same time there's not really much of a difference between that ending and the and the evil corporation attacking the the farm with their hired pinkerton uh tough guys to 
you know, throw the, the family off and having to defend it. You know, it's, it's the end of young guns, basically, except there was motorcycles and trucks and machine guns. Well, even the end of young guns technically had a machine gun. Um, it was, it was cool like that. Like I, I really dug it. I mean, out of, out of all the X films, this is probably my favorite with X2 being really close. It was like one of the two, I'm not sure quite which one and days of future Past is up there too. But like this one, I think like the more I think about it, the more I've, you know, really kind of chewed on it when, since I've seen it, like it's, it's definitely, I think there's just so much going for it. Um, and it's so different compared to the rest. Yeah, I, I realized I'm having a conversation the other day with some folks on Twitter, like, I literally the only thing that I remember from X2 is the amazing, quote, have you tried not being a mutant, quote, scene, uh, that was <laughs> oh, just yeah. a dead on, and it's really essential at the time it was released, so the deconstruction of, like, what parents say to kids when kids come out to them. Um, <laughs> yeah. I remember nothing else. I remember nothing else from that movie. You don't even remember... And you don't remember him jumping off the ledge and like stabbing the guys in the X mansion? Oh no. yeah, that scene was like. Oh wait, no, I think that I remember the fight scene with Nightcrawler because that was yeah, beautiful. Yeah, I was gonna say yeah. Those are the only two things I remember. I, I never remember forget Wol- uh, Wolverine and Wolverine and Rogue jamming out to Insync for like five seconds in the car. Mm. <laughs> I don't remember that. I probably blocked that out because I, totally I hate forgot Insync. But <laughs> that's like one of the greatest scenes. When X-Men tries to be pop culturally relevant. <laughs> uh, date that film, oh, yeah. It's going to make yeah. it really difficult yeah. when they try to, to dial back the time and, and really kind of being like, no, no, this happened in 2000 and not 1990-something. Um, yeah, Logan's really yeah. timeless to be re- end up being really timeless. Like, it's like one of those movies like, like Inception and like Mad Max. Like, they, they just they use like technology. I mean, there's some things that'll probably like age up. They use like technology that like it's kind of like cars and trucks and like just basic guns and that like I guess it could it will probably in the aging well. Yeah, well, that's kind of the interesting thing. Um, the I think what was interesting on that is that even it's like 2029 it takes place in, but all the cars are like straight out of 2017 and the cell phones are 2017. Like they really didn't go for this future tech world like even the reavers to some extent um like the the technology shown like there's the one scene where where pierce is redoing his hand like even the hand they showed is a hand that like you would actually see potentially with someone who's an amputee like it wasn't like this crazy futuristic Hmm. skynet thing um like it was while it took place in 2029 it could have been 2017 Yeah, I mean, I think the most futuristic thing was, like, I was reading is, like, the TVs were nicer in the hotel. Someone noticed that. And then, like, this, this like, fancy, like, view screen and, like, Wolverine's, like, Uber. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Like, it's really subtle. There's not much. It's not some crazy, you know, it's not like they promised the Jetsons here with flying cars. Like, it was someone I was just reading somewhere it was, like, the most futuristic thing was his limo. Was it was a different model <laughs> than what exists today. Everything else was like the oh, 2017 funny. model of cars. But if you like, if you think yeah. about cars, I mean, we've got. I, I drive we drive a car that's like 20 years old, so 2029 is not that far off of people still driving around in the 2017 models. 
Yeah, and I think I think it makes kind of just that whole that like whole used future aesthetic is is good for these kind of like like darker movies. Like, not, it's not like you know Star Trek or anything like that's like kind of just dirty and we're trying to like make ends meet and like like the like the house like I really like the set design of the like smelting factory. They're just trying to like find ways to like preserve food and just like kind of like survive and they're not worried about like a revolution or anything like 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 the old man looking comic it's all about like oh yeah we're gonna take out the red skull with like all these easter eggs and this is just like survive <laughs> even though wolverine mm-hmm. and iron man suit at the end was pretty awesome and that that comic well you oh know <laughs> you know one of the banners i work for an immigrant rights organization and one of the banners that our members painted that folks march under is says in Spanish mi existencia es resistencia which means my existence is resistance and in the context of this dystopian tale the fact that mutants exist is resistance now the thing is allowing mutants to exist is not resistance enough for those of us who are want to be like allies we actually have to do things to help people to continue to live um, and step up in the ways that Gabriela and the other nurses did in smaller ways that other characters might do. But um, I think that, you know, like Wolverine is fighting on a small scale because allowing mutants to continue to survive, you know, in and of itself is a radical act in that context. You know, one of the things the movie doesn't do is it doesn't tell you, like, is Eden real? Like, and what happens to people in Canada, right? Yeah. I think that's an interesting question. What do you think happens? It's a really good question. Um, I thought it was, so the... The whole thing with Eden and it being in the comic and it may or may not be real, like whether or not it was real, like it felt it felt it felt like it was a good theme in that it represented the hope of of um, Laura and all the kids um, and that, you know, it tied into that, you know, while while, you know, Logan was flipping out about how the comics are not realistic and there's all these people dying and all this violence going on. You know, I, I think it plays into, Oh, I think what a lot of us, probably all three of us experienced reading X-Men comics growing up and that, you know, they were the, the outcasts and the ones picked on and the ones discriminated against. And we all kind of probably related to that and somehow yeah. for various reasons. And to me that I thought was the interesting split between Laura and Wolverine and even Xavier in Wolverine and that Eden represented and the comic represented that hope that we as comic book fans reading those comics experienced in our real life. And then, you know, Wolverine trying to snap us out into reality. Um, Mm. You know, like overall, I think that was kind of the theme of it. The, the, that plot though, that was the, probably the one thing that I had issues with the entire film and that it felt very beyond Thunderdome to me and that I expected them to sit him down and put him through a video and talking about, you know, tomorrow, Morrowland and a bunch of like <laughs> kids telling, like freaking out. Like it was very beyond Thunderdome. So uh, I think that was probably my only issue with it, but like, I, I liked it in that. I think it tied into the bigger themes as to that debate about the X-Men comic and what, and the X-Men as a whole and what it means to individuals and our experiences with it. Hmm. Yeah, I mean, I, I like that that Eden ended up just being, you know, the kids and like some that they kind of built, created their own hope. Like they used the like template of the comic to like kind of make their own like version of the X Men. And I, I kind of, I mean, like 
Legion and, and Logan are very different, but like the the place that like you know David goes to in Legion, it's like very stripped down, like Xavier's thing. I've only seen the first couple episodes, like no spoilers. And I think both Legion and like the ending of Logan show that like the X Men, like that metaphor is so strong that you don't have to like throw in all these extra like continuity nods. You can just straight up tell like these are gifted youngsters. Um, they're they're learning to you know control these gifts. Like it can be a metaphor for like being gay or being you know whatever. Um, prefer you know going through puberty or something and yeah they just like roll, roll with it and don't have to like you do time travel and weird stuff to like make it you know relevant just that the, the metaphor alone is like strong enough for like a story what about you Alon? i want to sh- uh, just i will i was going to just say actually one of our listeners micah kellner who's the person who told me the story about his friend going to the movie who was anti you know, someone as I am a grin and being so emotionally affected by it. He just wanted to pull and said, which I think was actually quite useful. Um, you know, Laura is silent for two thirds of the film. Um, mm-hmm. And she's sort of hiding in plain sight to Logan. And he really doesn't view her as his daughter or in the way that Xavier is trying to, to have him relate to her in that way. And he's just really resistant, which, you know, I understand that people are resistant to being told that someone's their daughter who they've never met before. That's a pretty normal response. But he is more resistant than he should be to caring about her, right? So, like, I sympathize. Sorry, this is me editorializing before going into what he says. Um, I think that it's okay for Wolverine to be like, yeah, that's not my daughter, but it's not okay for him to say, I don't care about this young person because she's not my daughter. However, uh, back to Kellner's point. Um, so, Laura is silent for two thirds of the movie. Um, meanwhile, Logan is loud and brash and full of assumptions about Laura. He is the ignorant, uneducated American masses. And only when Laura speaks does Logan see her as human. And she speaks Spanish, but she doesn't really understand and makes him angry. But if you notice, when Laura speaks Spanish, there are no subtitles. This was a conscious choice for the filmmakers. Mm-hmm. No subtitles for non-Spanish speakers, and the audience is angering just as Logan is angered, thus pointing out that we are also not having subtitles put. The immigrant in the position equal if not higher, to the uneducated American. I mean, look, I speak terrible Spanish, and I understood what she was saying, but um, I guess, like, it, you know, I guess it probably would be very hard for people who don't have, like, any Spanish to, and it, it was, yeah, they didn't put subtitles. I thought that was an interesting touch. Well, with the, with the that aspect to it, like, I actually thought it was very similar to um, the comic we, we talked about, whatever, a couple episodes ago, where there was Spanish with no subtitles, and that I, I got a general sense of, like, what was up based off of a couple keywords here and there and what her reactions were. So, and I, you know, after whatever, 12 years of learning Spanish can barely, I like, I can't speak a lick of it. I just suck at it. Um, this is a known fact of, I just horrible with foreign language. So, you know, it, I, I noticed that they did that and I thought it was really cool that they, they chose that. Um, I, I took, took Wolverine's like, I don't want to deal with her. And she's, you know, I don't want to protect her. More of the, I had a plan. My plan was to get a boat and get the fuck out of Dodge with with Charles, and she's screwing up that plan and putting me in danger. Like I, I took it more of the like he was pissed at her for basically just screwing up his plan, which is like a whole other topic that you know of a of a father and yeah, kid. messing up his, his his death wish. He just wants to you know go in the ocean and die. Like this whole movie, he just wants to die. Like that's why he's the adamantium yeah. bullet, which is like such a great redemption of like one of the worst plot devices in modern movies. <laughs> um, Good point. Good point. Yeah. Like that's Which also... the whole movie. Like he wants, he wants to die. And in the end he like does die, but like he dies like 
a heroic like death, like sacrificing himself for the the kids, and then they like kind of go crazy on the the reavers and kind of re- redeem his death and his memory. So I love the ending so much. Mm-hmm. That's actually a good question. Like, it, so Wolverine wants to die. Like, it's clear that he just wants to go off the boat, live his life, and die. Like that. That's it. But if he's going to take Xavier with him, who clearly can't take care of himself, because that's his plan, right? Is go out in the boat with Xavier, maybe, maybe not Caliban's with him. You know, would he then be condemning Xavier in a way to his death as well? I mean, Xavier's like ninety years old. Like, I mean, he's yeah. He says he's about to die. Yeah. He's gonna about to die anyway. Like just to you know his his you know his Alzheimer's and had Alzheimer's with the telepathy and like yeah. I mean he's he's I mean yeah. So they're both like old and want to die. Like <laughs> yeah yeah oh yeah. I mean it's 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 nice to see that. I think they played off his death wish like really well. That was something that that stood out to me and. You know, you believe that this was a guy who just didn't give a shit and wanted it to be over with and wanted to go out, you know, his way uh, in reality, probably maybe peacefully. Um, I also kind of got a sense that his plan was to, you know, Xavier to die and then he would put the bullet in his head out in the ocean. Um, yeah, oh, yeah, for, but, for sure. Yeah. yeah, but I never, you know, we don't know But it know needs to be in a positive way. Yeah. <laughs> just, just, yeah. Yeah. Then, so the ending, so the ending thing I thought was interesting. We kind of like touched upon it a little bit with. The, so we had the kids like holding that the Wolverine toys, and and you know they they put it on the grave and they make the grave from the cross to the X. Like it, it also ties into I, again like it comes to that to that weird that theme that I keep on going back to of like this movie was was so meta in that way that it was willing to you know, kind of discuss the the X-Men as a whole, like as a an actual cultural phenomenon and in the comics and all that. Like it just felt like it was touching upon all that with these like small scenes and small details. Mm-hmm. Definitely. Yeah, I mean, like uh, Hugh Jackman has been Wolverine like for two-thirds of my life, or over two-thirds of my life. And it's he's like, you know, there's been like I don't know three Spider-Men and like a bunch of Batman and he's yeah. like kind of a constant like it's the same actor the same almost the same character like so it's kind of like a passing in like an era like he you know he was the main character in the first big like modern superhero movie and now he's like passing mm-hmm. on so like the kids the kids are like I don't I don't know about your like kids are like the kids of my generation like grew up with them, like as like the main superhero who was like every couple years would show up and. You know, one of the things that you might not remember, when I was younger, we would constantly come up with, like, X-Men casting dream lists because, like, <laughs> the only superhero movie had been, like, Superman when we were, like, infants and then, like, later the Batman movie, of which, like, I guess only the first two were any good. Um, and people, like, folks who kind of coming from, like, the punk and metal world, as I was, were like, oh, we need to have, we absolutely need to have Glenn Danzig as Wolverine. Everyone very wanted important. Danzig. Yeah. And then by the time the movie was actually getting made, we were like, fuck, he's too old. Damn. Um, But aren't we glad? I mean, we were all sort of like, how are they casting Hugh Jackman, who is A, not short, B, from musical theater, three, kind of pretty, like, as Wolverine? And 
he has done a fantastic job. And it's true that his performance has changed the way Wolverine is drawn in comics, sometimes mm-hmm. in ways that I find disappointing because I appreciated having a character who looked that different from everyone else. Um, but um, but he, his portrayal has just always been one of the strongest parts of it, and he's really defined that character in everyone's eyes. And he wasn't something that any of us saw coming. Well, do you know the, the story behind it, that he wasn't originally the one cast? Mm-mm, do tell. So uh, originally it was cast was DeGray Scott, who was filming Mission Impossible 3 or 2 at the time. Um, and like he, they thought about Jackman, but he wasn't the, the one that they wanted. They actually went for DeGray Scott. And they've also, they also discussed uh, Bob Hoskins at a time, Robert De Niro at the time. <laughs> Um, and Bob Hoskins, Hoskins I thought, is an old man. He like, <laughs> like, how could he possibly have sold the physical? Like, he could have been good doing the voice in an animated, in yeah, an animation. The attitude thing, probably, would be awesome. But um, um, so it was originally DeGray Scott who then got injured on the set of uh, whatever Mission Possible two or three or whatever it was, and they basically were like, "Shit, we're filming! Like, we literally are starting to film." And they went and were scrambling to figure it out. And I forgot who suggested Jackman. Like, I think it was ma- or so it was getting delayed. That was it. So they were they were basically bullshitting the the X Men production team, and they weren't telling them that DeGray Scott was injured. So they finally had to send someone to Australia where it was getting filmed to see what the hell was going on. And that's where they found they're like, oh crap, he's injured. He's not going to be able to film for like a month or whatever it was. So we need to get someone else. And they wound up, uh, I forgot who suggested it, but someone suggested Jackman and they were just like, he's the musical guy. Why the hell would we ever get this guy? Um, And they brought him on and I forgot who it was that told the story, but was like, yeah, this, the second he started, they were just like, yep, fuck it. He's, he's done. Like, absolutely. And they flew him (laughs) off to Canada like next day to start filming. Um, So yeah, he originally was not supposed to be, Wolverine, and I've always wondered like what the hell it would have been like with DeGray Scott in the role, because he looks the part. Like they actually aren't that different looks wise, um, but you know, I, I it would have been such a different, different series, like character and and everything, and and a lot of it like the the character itself, uh, and the way he was uh, presented was Jackman. Like they they. Mm-hmm. Um, they were kind of expecting someone a bit more snarlier and and meaner and what we kind of expected. And Jackman was the reason he kind of changed a little bit. And the funniest is DeGray Scott is six foot, so it's not like he's any different size wise than Jackman. Mm-hmm. But yeah, really oh, crazy story. There was an article I forgot who. Yeah, Jackman maybe was. maybe he would have been less of a leading man. Like maybe you know James Marsden's Cyclops would have been like the lead, I don't know <laughs> Jackman. That seems yeah. impossible, but nevertheless. <laughs> wow. What do you guys think about um, the movie in terms of like solidifying Laura's character moving forward? I mean, somebody is like, well, who's going to be the new Wolverine? And everybody online is just like, Laura is, which I love because in the comics, at least for a while, like people were recognizing that Wolverine is Laura. Um, and I thought, by the way, that the beginning of the all new all the uh, all new Wolverine comic from Tom Taylor and Lopez and crew was just really, truly excellent. Um, it's still good actually, but the launch of it was excellent. Um, uh, and so I was happy to sort of like have her just exist as Logan for a while, but it seems like 
now they're kind of putting old man Logan in everything again, X moving forward. Oh my gosh, that guy is everywhere. Like he's just <laughs> He's Wolverine. He's busty. He's Wolverine so he's Wolverine. <laughs> yeah. I swear I swear he's in Moon Girl and Devil Dinosaur. Like like I think yeah. he was in an issue of Moon Girl and Devil Dinosaur or something. Like he's he's everywhere that like old guy is just like Yep. <laughs> it's crazy. Yeah. I mean I really think they should like make Laura Wolverine like I mean, the all-new Wolverine comics have been really good and done a really good job of, like, passing the torch and showing that, you know, she's had the same struggles as Wolverine, so she can be the next one. And also, I mean, just, I mean, imagining her on X-Force with, like, freaking, like, Ryan Reynolds and, like, um, who they cast as Domino, um, the, the actress from Atlanta, and, like, yeah, whoever ends up playing Cable. Like, I'm just imagining her just being the silent, angry kid and Deadpool, like, trying to get her to smile and just the interactions and getting someone cool to play, like, Phantom X. Like, I'm just imagining her, like, in a team dynamic. Because she was, like, great at the end. Like, at the end, she was kind of mm-hmm. like Wolverine in the first X-Men movie. She's, like, the sad, brooding loner who's just, like, doing her own thing while everyone else is, like, playing campfire games. And I'm like, man, she's, like, great in, a, like, a team. And That's so yeah, cool. Yeah, so I, I, I really hope idea. we get to see more of her. That would be so yeah, great. I- Actually, I I go with the the team. Like I think she she would be better off to start as a team because I don't her, just her age wise. I don't think she would be able to necessarily hold mm-hmm. an entire film by herself. But you can easily transition her to that point. Mm-hmm. But you're right in the context. Except of, like, like the timelines are timelines are weird domino, though. Like in like the context of an awesome Domino and how we've seen. Um, Deadpool interact with uh, Negasonic Teenage Warhead. Like having him interact with kids is really cool. Um, <laughs> yeah. Right. I, I, yeah, that would be really exciting and wonderful. Oh, you know, I really enjoyed um, when Logan wakes up and all the kids have been trimming his facial hair with a million tiny scissors, which of course mm. is a very artistic thing because in reality there would not be 80 pairs of tiny little scissors, no matter how many pairs of emergency. Um, medical supplies people had brought with them. I thought that the choice of having the little kids do that was an interesting tribute because the kids were, you know, the kids mess with you in your sleep because they're being cute, but they're also trying to visually connect him back to the image of himself that they had solidified in their minds from the comics, right? So it's the kids sort of modeling him back into the ideal version of him that they've seen in their minds. I actually, so... A funny one on that was uh, the scene when they, they just finished that. Um, he looks the most like um, the drawing, like the, the actual old man Logan as we see him in the in the comics originally and today. Like the way his, his beard is done and all of the, and his facial hair is it's actually almost a spitting image for the, the art style. And I, I wonder, have wondered if they purposely, when they cut that, um, they they did it that way on purpose. Um, they probably did. I mean, like Mark Miller is like a consultant at Fox, and he's like probably like, yeah. oh, I want, I want this to be in the movie here. I don't know. <laughs> Gosh, Mark Miller, that guy. So I don't like <laughs> Logan is just like a better version of old because old man Logan at the end with the the Hulks and the incest stuff just like really just like lost me. But this one like had a had a beautiful end. Yeah, the it's it's interesting. The original Old Man Logan is it's the ending is just so much more brutal. Like the whole thing is 
it's an interesting take, and I remember loving it when it first came out, and I still really liked it when I read it again, and I think it holds up, but it's such a different, like, it's like what it says and the settings and where it leaves things is just two totally different films. Like, and, and it's funny in that the original, well, I remember reading the first Old Man Logan, everyone was like, oh, it's such a Western, and I remember thinking that too, but having read it again, I'm like, there's a little bit of that, but not a whole lot. It's just, a, it's more of like a revenge, like a straight up revenge tale than a Western. Whereas Logan, I think is just a straight up Western. Um, I mean, the comparing the two, I think it was, it was fascinating um, going back and forth, especially how one impacts the other. Hmm. I actually haven't read Old Man Logan or Death of Wolverine. So, I mean, I'm someone who's very familiar with the character in general, having read tons of X-Men comics. But um, I definitely liked not, like, I, I guess, you know, whatever. I know how Death of Wolverine ends, so I guess that I, I might as well be the same as he any dies. other comics audience in that way. Well, you know what I mean. I mean, the adamantium poisoning. And da, 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 da. I don't care. None of that matters. Like, what, what's, what's interesting is, like, what the story this, the movie is telling about the country and corporate power and people's relationships to each other. I thought the, the stillness conveyed when, when um, Charles uses his powers to corral the horses, like, that was incredibly cinematic. It was one of, it was one of the only mm-hmm. moments of stillness in the movie. It was incredibly effective. And, of course, you know it's all going to be ruined because uh, interacting with the, with the X-Men is sort of a vector for tragedy coming to your life. Um, but um, that was a really touching strange almost moment in the movie but I mean it in a good way yeah, yeah it's, um, he, he likes how he has power for good and not just like destruction he's like kind of yeah it was, it was nice mm-hmm. the way mm-hmm. he used to be yeah, yeah that's, I mean Preston is struggling he's struggling so hard to take care of people and he's not able to take care of himself right now and it's a great question. Like, what do we even do in those situations? Poor Caliban, by the way, is like really suffered a great deal. Um, I, I was very glad that in the movie they didn't have his character be like mentally challenged the way he is in the comics. I think that would have been really awkward. Um, it's kind of gotten I, away from I that in the comics. I appreciated how he went out. Yeah. Okay. I, th- I think I like I, I remember that way back in the day. It was more emphasized. But in the recent stuff, I don't remember it quite as much. But, yeah, I, I totally agree with you with that. Um, I think that the most powerful scene out of the entire film is Logan helping Xavier go to the bathroom. That was wonderful. And I like, can't, it's I such can't a, do it in front of yeah. you. Like, yeah. Yeah. And his just like, do you think I want to watch? Because, you know, I've been around those conversations. Um, mm-hmm. You know that that's the way it goes. It's straight up with like stop yeah. freaking look at me. I want to do this. Like blah blah blah. And the person responds like, "Do you think I want to deal with this?" Um, yeah. So it's like seeing Xavier surly and angry and and just at that level. Like it's just is heartbreaking. And seriously, if, if Patrick Stewart doesn't get nominated from something, like it, I'm gonna be pissed. I think my only thing worries is that since it's out in March, that no one's gonna remember it. November uh-huh. and December. I mean, Mad Max Free Road made it, like, to nominations. It was out of May. Yeah. So, I mean, hopefully. Like, March is a new – all the summer, like, so-called summer blockbusters are, like, starting to come out in March now. I mean, like, 
It's I kind of yeah. like it. That's like, interesting. Like it's, like, and they're are usually better, like Deadpool and like the John Wick movies and like Lego Batman. I'm like, like I don't need summer movies anymore. I got spring movies. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I forgot what it was. There was a couple things that went off in like February and January that went huge, and I when that happened, everything started shifting up a couple months. So yeah, you know, like yeah, you know, we're not gonna beat the Transformers in the Spider-Man reboots. So let's just go in March. You know, the weather's terrible. People are like. Yeah, people go and see these. Counter-programming. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. Being smart. Yes. And, I mean, really, this movie is such a graphic policy movie in terms of, like, it having so much to talk about in terms of politics, actually being a movie that stands well on its own, but also is something that comics fans will enjoy. Like, you know, I'm glad that the conversation around the movie hasn't been bogged down in questions of whether or not it's true enough to the original material or not. I think part of the reason why it doesn't get bogged down on that is because there's so much else to talk about. Like, if there's no there there, people will talk about whether it adheres to the original text. But when the movie stands on its own, you don't need to obsess with that. Um, also, I think this movie would be a good movie you could take people to who hadn't seen any other X-Men movies. Like, I don't think mm-hmm. any prior X-Men knowledge, I think it's certainly gained when you have it, but it's not necessary at all. Yeah, that's what I've been telling so, people. Like, um, even if you hate superhero movies, check out this movie. Like, for real. Like, and mm-hmm. yeah, like it's I have a friend who hasn't seen a superhero movie since The Dark Knight, and he he like hates them. And I'm like, this is the one you should see. <laughs> yeah, I mean, that's the thing with it. Like, it's not a superhero film. It really it bucks all the trends of everything. Like, you're, we don't see spandex. There isn't these like crazy over-the-top villains. Um, well, there's no spandex in the movies anyway. The movies are all spandex-free, frankly, but I get what you're saying. There's no yeah, problem. but I mean, like, not as much CGI, CGI setting up other... Yeah. Setting on, I think the big thing mm-hmm. about this movie, it didn't care about future movies, which is, like, even the Marvel movies at their greatest, like, will set up other movies. We'll like, awkward scenes where they set up other movies. Like, dude, just tell a story. Like, come on. Like, I think the only mm-hmm. Mar- like, yeah. Marvel Cinematic movie that didn't do that was, was Iron Man. It saved it all for, you know, the post credit scene. But then, like, yeah, then after that, it's just all, like, setting up everything. Like, yeah, all connected. I'm like, oh, my gosh. Yeah, you're right. I'm so tired of this. like that. <laughs> well, like, you know, one just... thing, I never I haven't bothered to, quote, look up Easter eggs, quote. Like, I haven't even bothered. And there's one that I perceive that may or may not be true, but I'll tell you, which is the funeral that Logan is at. The grave is for someone whose last name is Rogers. It's also clearly Greenwood Cemetery in Brooklyn. I believe what? in one of in I believe in one of the Marvel continuities. Steve Rogers, like, doesn't he like when after the death of Captain America, like, isn't he buried in Greenwood Cemetery in Brooklyn? I mean, I, I don't know Brooklyn well, so I mean, yeah, there are a lot of Brooklyn. I, I, I mean, <laughs> yeah, yeah. I remember taking taking notes in, in Greenwood and, and wanting to look that up and never coming across. Anything that really? Uh, oh man, well, I'll have to check that out when okay. I come up for FlameCon. <laughs> well, Greenwood Cemetery is well, so, great. I gladly have everybody a tour. But I just mean, like, I know that, like, based on the logic of the movie, there's no reason to believe that Wolverine would go to a funeral in New York, and which point he would run into Gabriella, who like is desperately trying to get her kid out of Texas. Like, so I know, rationally speaking, that this scene is not a Captain America's funeral happening in Brooklyn. But it sure looks like Captain America's funeral happening in Brooklyn. Yeah, there's some other people that have picked it up. I just went and decided to search for Logan Easter eggs. If someone else picked up that it's Greenwood 
cemetery um, and said that that's in Brooklyn, but he, he couldn't have been in Brooklyn because he was working at the, you know, going back and forth across the border. So, yeah. You know, so, but uh, there's no but way that was actually. See the root. It's not like, yeah, it's, it's out of continuity. It's more like a commentary perhaps yeah. it, um, that, and it's that, and it really is that like he, um, I mean, the, the relationship between Captain America and Wolverine is sometimes written really well and sometimes not really a thing. But I like the idea of Logan being so touched that he has to go to Captain America's funeral. And I think it's also an intriguing date mark to give for the death of Captain America, right? Because Captain America it, like, is probably not immortal, but will certainly live longer than most. Um, I want him so to I die right now. Touching. Aw. Oh, you mean in the comics? I mean, yeah, definitely. Sorry. I thought you meant in the movie. Yeah. I was like, what? Oh, of no. course not. I don't want Chris Evans forever. Yeah, Chris Evans forever. <laughs> yeah, I mean, because he, he like, he's for... actually Captain America on Twitter. Like, he, he like, punches yeah, KKK members with his uh, tweets. He's, so, like, yeah. Super nice guy. Like, everything that I've heard about him, like, super, super nice guy. Uh, I mean, for, for Easter eggs, like, the big one is, um, you know, obviously the bullet referencing the first. Uh, Wolverine film. Um, there's references to Alkali Lake with the the Doctor Xander, whose father was in charge of part of the Weapon X program. Um, that's not a there, drag. That's like continuity, really, from the earlier movies. Well, yeah, yeah. Most of the most of the callbacks are in the movies, not the not yeah, the comics, it's all really, callbacks, which is yeah. There's not tons of Easter which, eggs. Like that's that's the thing. Like this is a pretty safe. Which I'm cool way. with. I mean, like, like mm-hmm. this, those CW shows like run on Easter eggs, and this one is just like, we don't need them. Like, who cares? Like, like good Richter, story. Richter is like, probably Richter is probably the biggest Easter egg out there. Yeah. Yeah. But like, it's, a, it's also his name, so like, people like who haven't read like New Mutants will be like, oh, whatever. Or, like, cool pun. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, and that's that's a, like Richter was, I think, the biggest like Easter egg, Easter egg. Since it's the New Mutants X Force reference, um, other than that, like it's all references to early, earlier films. Yeah, I love the references uh-huh. to the first X Men movie, like him as a yeah. cage fighter, him at the end with Rogue, like in the car, yep. like it's like him and Rogue, but like they reverse the roles. It's the young girl driving him to a place of safety, and I, I just it was like a mm-hmm. nice like bookend. I'm like, yeah, damn, like good, good job, guys, like. Because, like, I think he's my favorite, off. like, Wolverine performance was, until this movie, was the first X-Men movie. Because he's so fresh, and he's, like, our, like, POV character, and I love him. Yeah. Well, he, he like references Hugh Jackman the, trying to prove uh, himself. <laughs> he references the, the New York uh, event in the first film, too, which is a nice callback. But it's really um, a motel. But it's, like, also good with the immigrant thing, too. Like, you know, yeah. the American clock. It's all... It's so many layers in that, that scene. And also just, like, the the, the motel has the Statue of Liberty. Like, it, uh, it's so good. The movie's so good. Oh, wow. Oh, I didn't even cool. pick up on that. That's a good call. Yeah. Thank you. I, I, yeah, I thought it, I think it's, it's – I'm like, first I'm like, oh, it's a callback to the first movie. And then they, like, do a like, little, like, dissolve. I'm like, oh, I see what you did there. <laughs> I totally didn't pick up on that because immediately my head's in the first film. <laughs> yeah. And it, crazy plot like oh gosh 
Uh, yeah, I, I actually think the, the Deadpool thing that ran before the film actually has more Easter eggs in it than Logan. Oh, man. Oh, yeah, that that was great. That was a really fun spot. Yeah. Supposedly, people, some people didn't laugh at it. Like, uh, I don't know. Because I'm sure they like, were like, what the hell is this? <laughs> yeah. I'm like, this is so awesome. Like, this is so, like this is the coolest like way to start a movie. <laughs> Firefly posters. Now oh my god! I like, thought it was so funny. Yeah. Instead of the end, uh, the free. end. At, yeah, you're gonna see everything move to big four movies instead of the end of the films. This is gonna be like the big thing yeah. now. I mean, honestly, like Deadpool in the movies is better than Deadpool in the comics. At least, like, yes. I, I mean, Deadpool oh, in the comics oh. is almost like he's like a joke about queer people at this point, the way some people write him. And um, it's just too much. I mean, I grew up with like, well, I grew up is not quite sure I was in college when I read it, but like, I have such fond memories of Joe Kelly writing hilarious Deadpool comics, but like, I'm so over him in the comics. Dear God, make it stop. You're just, and he's, the movie he's was out so fun. Like right now. Like, I'm sorry? there's just too many, like, he's just like so stretched out. Like he has like a duck version of him. And like, he just, I mean, they they really... He's been Wolverine, he's like, right? Mm-hmm. He's like the Wolverine. Yeah. <laughs> but, um, but, yeah, the movie was so fun. They need to so film fun. off and, like, streamline it. Like, I mean... <laughs> I think there was a, a death of Deadpool, or if that hasn't already happened, yeah, that probably will be happening. Like, yeah, they, they, they did it, but then he, like, came back with, like, six new books. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I mean, I read the death of Deadpool in, like, the year 2000. And he came back with four different Deadpools because it was a joke about the death of Superman. Oh, it was really funny. That's so, that's so great. It's so, like, so that was really the, funny when they did it back then. But the only the thing four, the that four Logan's got, I'm sorry, the four Deadpools got mushed back into one at the end. But anyway. so the only thing that will really kill Deadpool and Wolverine will be low uh, comic book sales. That's that's it. Nothing else will ever kill them. I'm convinced of that. Oh, no. Yeah. <laughs> Uh yeah, it was interesting that this was like a very Easter egg free film. Like there's a lot of nods to previous co- or previous movies, but that was about it. Mhm. Greenwood Cemetery is probably the biggest Easter egg out of everything, <laughs> and maybe and did not even notice that. It's it's, it's pretty awesome. Yeah, it's funny. I I had it in my notes. And I was like, I bet you that is something because they linger on the sign for a, oh, yeah. a way too long not to be something. Um, and like I just who, don't I mean, remember. Who else other than Rogers? There's only one Rogers in the Marvel Universe. And, like, yeah. Rogers would sure as hell be buried in Brooklyn. So, Hey, maybe Wolverine well, went with a so cross-country much. drive already <laughs> and did that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, yeah. So, Take yeah, I mean, we're... Wrap uh, up now? I think we are. We're coming up on an hour and a half. We've gone for quite a while. Um, but was, what, yeah, what do you guys think about like, other other studios trying to make movies like Logan? Like people have been like Ooh. all over the internet saying, Ooh, like, yeah. Well, I hope it's a force for good and showing that having a specific director's creative vision put on the screen is compelling to people. Um, and that doing a character different story will be good. So yeah. Uh, I fear that it and Deadpool that the long the wrong lessons will be learned 
Um, to me, the right lessons are that it should be that you should maybe stretch out in genres and and do different things with these films. And um, that's the two lessons. I think the lesson is going to be make everything R-rated, uh, which is the completely wrong message out there. I, in fact, think there needs to be more like G-rated superhero movies. I think that's massively mm. lacking yeah, like- too. They should, we should have, like, a PG-rated Shazam movie, like, based on that, uh, whatever, that multiverse Nick secret Marvel. or thing he did. Like, I mean, you could do PG Ms. Marvel. You could do PG... Um, Squirrel Girl. Yeah, Squirrel Girl would be awesome. Um, yeah. And, yeah, I mean, there's just a lot, and you you don't see it. I think everything's, like, PG-13, and I think everything's going to now... Or a lot of things are going to start shifting towards R, and that's just the, not the right uh. lesson at all. Because there were yeah, kids in my theater watching Logan. Logan. Falls, but you're right. Yeah. No, no yeah. it's it's Logan and Wolver and Deadpool. I mean, Deadpool. I think was it's like at a 13 or 14 multiplayer multiplier, so it made 14 times the budget, which is massive. Um, it's one of the most profitable, successful comic films ever. Uh, when it comes to that. So yeah, the it'll be interesting. It'll be really, really, really interesting. I uh, I think our first clue will be whatever mysterious project Fox has up next that they they have like a slot next year, um, but we, no one knows what it is. Everyone thinks it's an X Men film, mm. but that's about it. So X Force. X Force. If X Force isn't R, I will be shocked. I will be completely shocked. Yeah, like, it kind of makes sense, you know. I can't wait for that, like, moral debate and, like, oh, my God. <laughs> it's going to be, like, the movie that Suicide Squad wished it was. <laughs> yeah, I mean, hmm, like, and it would be smart if they go X-Force is the R-rated adult version and then you can have more of a, a kid's family-friendly version with the X-Men. That would be intelligent. That That's would like be perfect. really smart. It's like, yeah. It's, like, hitting all the, hitting all the demographics, you know. Yep. So, who knows if that we will be Fox. learned? <laughs> okay. Is anyone running Fox right now? I think a lot of answers are probably no on that one. Oh, oh no. Rupert Murdoch. <laughs> I, I, I do want to just make sure folks know, like, you know, we're not covering Iron Fist on the podcast, but I highly <laughs> recommend folks listen to Sean Lau, former guest of the show, friend of the show. Um, no Totally podcast where he just eviscerates Iron Fist. Um, so you should go listen to that. Yeah, it was so popular, his website went down briefly, but his website is back up again, and you can download his episode. Um, Asian American comics geek uh, and film critic talking about what is wrong with Iron Fist is definitely worth your listen to, and you can consider his opinion to be my opinion more or less in this matter. So go with God. And listen to that podcast, and also spare yourself the show. So yeah, I I will be watching it and reviewing it mostly because of out of feeling the need to do that. But Netflix could bite me; they're a bunch of assholes to deal with. So that's why we haven't reviewed it yet. Uh-huh. Yeah, because we're not cool. We don't kiss ass like all the other places. Uh, <laughs> so <laughs> it'll be interesting when it show. comes out. Oh, yeah, yeah. yeah. It's a show that doesn't kiss ass. <laughs> I mean, it's amazing because we did an entire detailed podcast series about Jessica Jones, which Logan here was a guest on. 
Like when something is good, we honor it and we analyze it, but we are not like a blind cheerleader crew with like no analysis of what's good and what's bad. Um, so yeah. anyway, I mean, I, I gave, yeah. I mean, I'm, I'm done reviewing Jessica Jones's comics. Like, I mean, she's my favorite character, but I'm not going to like, I want, I want her to have good stories. I don't want her to be like stuck in the same rut she's been for 15 years. Thanks, yeah. Brian Michael Benzes. Um, <laughs> awesome. I mean, that's yeah. why. Like, Logan himself discovered that that is basically why she's been in the middle of nowhere for a long time. Oh, gosh, we're getting so afield, and this podcast is running quite long. Let's, <laughs> let's wrap up. Um, I want to give a shout-out. Uh, we could, on we could Wednesday, do a hate broad- not- podcast at some point. Oh, oh my man. gosh. That's the thing that keeps us being is the irony, but we're not. We talk about all the things we love usually. Like we talk about feminine uh, feek comics that's coming out. We had a whole thing about like how much we love Apollo and Midnighter. Like we are, we are, when things are good, we talk about them. But um, so next, speaking of things that are good, um, not this Wednesday, but the Wednesday after that, March 22nd, I'm being joined by Ardo Amer and Desiree, um, from the Nerds of Color and Nalini Stamp from the Working Families Party. And we will be discussing in a live tweet chat at 8.30 on the 22nd of March, 8.30 Eastern, Ms. America, uh, her, you know, the brand new comic series, which is called America, and Ms. Marvel, uh, and talking about the significance of having a queer Latina and a you know, a second generation Pakistani American Muslim superhero right now, like wearing the patriotic colors of like red, white, and blue standing up for America and Marvel comics in the context of our current political environment. Um, And the goal of the tweet chat is to unite comics fans with people who are doing on the ground activism and organizing in immigrant and Muslim communities. Um, We think that the sort of stories that are being told in these comics are powerful in helping people outside of those communities recognize the humanity and issues faced by those communities. And also that the superhero stories that are told are empowering for, you know, for, for Latinos and for Muslim Americans and stuff like that. Um, and we are also trying to connect geeks with the activism that's happening in the real world so we can support each other better. So that sweet chat is happening at 8:30 with our awesome guests. You can follow me for updates on that. And our hashtag is hashtag pop politics chat. Cool. Cool. Looking forward to it. A lot of fun. Very cool idea. Um, And speaking of Twitter and all that stuff, uh, where can people find you, Logan? Um, Midnighter Bay, uh, B-A-E. And, yeah, and talk to me about, like, people, talk to me about, like, Supergirl and stuff, because people, like, love that, talking about that show and, like, hating and saying nice things about it. So, yeah. (laughs) What show? Supergirl. Oh, Supergirl. <laughs> it's a fun show. Totally. It's a, it's a really, and it, perfect timing because it actually isn't on tonight. So it was like a, a perfect thing for, for you to come on for. Um, yeah, it was nice. You guys, should talk, you guys should do a Supergirl episode. It's very political. I mean, I haven't watched it, but I'm constantly getting yeah. um Eric is constantly nagging me about how I should watch Supergirl because it's very progressive and very political. So perhaps that Wonder could be Woman is president. Sometimes progressive. Linda Carter is president. Ah, interesting. Yeah. Fucking Bonnell. 
yeah. Pretty much. Well, like, why Thank you. Like, yeah. Like, like, we don't need another. We don't need another white boy. Like, it's just not. It's not. Not interesting at this point. We we definitely should do not so. just Super Bowl, but we probably should also do a Riverdale episode at some point. Oh yeah, oh I gotta God. watch Riverdale. <laughs> I love that show I, I so much. <laughs> I could get my whole soap geek on. Yeah, it's such a fun fun show. And we will be absolutely. We will be doing an episode about um about Legion in the near future. I'm working out. Yeah. We're working out how that how that will be done. But but never fear, fans. We will be talking about Legion. So. Yes, it's a tough one to discuss because the show is going a different direction than the comics, and yeah. Oh yeah, absolutely. Um, it stands on its own though, but it's yeah, it's not really. Yeah. Anyway, okay. You, you see what I've been thing. saying about so it, Logan, but yeah, that's a whole other thing. Logan, we, yes. we now know where where you can find you on the internet. Folks can find me on the internet at e l a n a underscore Brooklyn, and where can they find on Twitter like all the damn time and on Tumblr at Elana Brooklyn slightly less so, but still quite active. And they can find Graphic Policy at... All Graphic Policy. So graphicpolicy.com, on Twitter, Facebook, Tumblr, YouTube, all at Graphic Policy. Like, really nice and consistent. Uh, So you should go follow us there because we talk about all kinds of cool things like comics and movies and TV and more. And then for those who came in late to the show, want to listen to it again, um, also maybe share it with friends... It will be up on iTunes and Stitcher in probably like a couple hours, and then it'll be uh, on our site tomorrow as well as SoundCloud where you can go and catch it there. So as always, thank you so much for listening. Uh, Really, really appreciate it. We'll be back with another episode fairly soon. So until next time, thanks a ton. I'm Brett. I'm Ilana. I'm Logan. Oh, there we go. (laughs) Yeah, keep it geeky. Until next time.